The first reason that someone might turn from this command is that love is costly. To help somebody usually always involves some sort of a cost. And I don't just mean financial cost. In order to reach out and help somebody, it requires giving from our resources. Now, you've heard it mentioned that we have things like our time, our talent, and our treasure. So it might require us to pay a cost in using those things. Maybe somebody does need some sort of financial help. Maybe somebody needs someone to talk to. It's going to require your time and your patience to listen to that person and talk to them and trying to help them. It also might require a talent. You know, if a person has a particular need and you have the talent to fulfill that need, maybe it involves some sort of repair on their house or some sort of a repair for their car or, or some sort of, uh, you know, repair or whatever way we can use a talent that God has given us. We're to use that and it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time, talent and, and treasure. Let me ask the question, what resources has God given you that you can use to bless others? Did you ever think about that? It might just be being there, you know, uh, sitting down and talking to somebody or listening to somebody or providing whatever kind of help you can provide. You know, I remember when I was young, a young teenager, uh, we had several neighbors, you know, I'm, I'm going back to the time, and some of you can remember this, where you knew all of your neighbors. You know, we lived in the inner city, and uh, where our house was situated, right next door to our house was the factory where my dad worked, right next door. <laughs> and now on the other side of that factory lived an elderly couple, Mr. and Mrs. Hatler. And, uh, there came a time when I was young that the husband died, Mr. Hatler died. And I can still remember my dad, because they, they had known this family going way back. My dad would say to me, I want you to come with me. We're gonna go see Mrs. Hatler. You know, she's a widow now and uh, she lives all by herself. She's got some health problems and other issues too. So I would go over with my dad. We'd walk down the street and we'd go and visit Mrs. Hatler. And my dad would sit there and just talk to her. And I, I can remember, you know, as a young teenager sitting there, my dad always took me along when he went to see her, and just sitting there listening to them talk. They wouldn't really involve me in the com conversation. They'd talk about the old times, and they'd talk about, you know, the history of the neighborhood and things like that. And then my dad would find out if she needed anything and if he could fix the house or whatever the case may be. And, you know, maybe that was some sort of a training for me as I would ultimately become a minister, you know, getting into the habit and learning the lesson of how important it is to just sit and talk to people and let them open up and, and kind of share. So that's an example of, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think my dad's really set me a good, set me a good example in that regard. Another example I can remember is one of my previous churches that I pastored, this congregation had a gift of visiting, fellowshipping, and that sort of thing. 
And I can remember on several occasions, I would give the sermon, you know, we had, I think it was a afternoon church at that time, if I'm not mistaken. But I'd give a sermon and we would mention the people that were sick or people that were in the hospital. And I'd always make it a point that after services, I'd drive over to the hospital to visit if we had any of our members in the hospital at that time. And I can remember on several occasions getting to the hospital and having my plan to go visit our member who's in whatever room and having the nurse telling me, I'm sorry, sir, you can't go up there right now. There's already too many people in the room. <laughs> we had so many of our church members in that room visiting with the sick person in the hospital that they wouldn't even allow me in until a couple of the members left. And I'd tell them, well, you know, I'm the pastor. I got to go and pray for the person. And they'd make arrangements. They'd go up there and, you know, say, well, no, the pastor is here. So a couple of you have to leave so that he can come in because there's already too, too great a capacity of people in this room. And I'd be walking down the hall to get to the person's room and I'd hear people talking and I hear people laughing and just everybody came to fellowship with this sick member who was in the hospital. Now, if somebody was really in bad shape, they wouldn't, you know, do that. But if somebody was doing okay and getting better, and this is an example of paying the time and the effort to go and to encourage a person. And that particular church really had a gift for doing that. So whatever you choose to do, however you intend to help to reach out and love your neighbor as yourself, there's generally a cost. And you have to be prepared to pay that. You know, in John ch chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, how did God demonstrate his love to us? You know, it cost him when he demonstrated his, lo his love to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you see, if you're going to love somebody, if you're going to reach out and love your neighbor as yourself, as God did with us, there was a cost. So, you know, you can put your name in that verse and say, well, Matthew, Eddie, whoever the case may be, for Matthew so loved the world that he gave what? What were you willing to give? What did you give? Did you give your time? Did you give your talent? Did you give your treasure? There's a cost involved. So God says in advance, be prepared. <laughs> you know, it's the great, greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's going to be a cost involved. And some people are not willing to pay that. The price of love will differ in form for each one of us, but God will always bring us opportunities to display his love to others. But remember, the price will always be costly. It will always involve saying no to yourself in some way. You know, I can go over and do that, but no, I'm gonna take the time to reach out and to, to help this other person today in whatever way we can. Notice in Acts 20, verse 35, Acts 20 and verse 35, it says this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must, we must help the weak. 
By this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So this is the Christian life that we've been called to, to get our minds off of ourselves, just as Jesus did, and to get our minds on our neighbor who is in need and to serve them. So that's the first point. Love is costly. That's a stumbling block for some people. They, they don't want to pay the cost. We must pay the cost, just as God did for us, just as Jesus did in his life. He gave up his own life for us. The second warning about loving your neighbor as yourself is that this kind of love is often inopportune. Inopportune. It comes at awkward times, in other words. Often when we are confronted with another person's need, it comes suddenly and unexpectedly and usually at the wrong time. Just when you're busy with something else. That's when other people need help. Now I know that, especially when it comes to my family, whenever that phone rings and somebody needs help, if it's my wife or any of my kids, I just instantly drop with what I'm doing because they're more important than whatever I'm doing. Now, God says you need to extend that attitude toward your neighbor, too. So, if we're on our way somewhere else or already involved in something else, you know, human nature begins to make excuses in our own minds. You know, well, I can't help them right now. If I don't help this person, you know, somebody else will. Or why isn't this person's family helping them? We asked the question. We're making excuses for ourselves, you see. Why doesn't this person seek government help or community help? This person's problems are just too overwhelming. There's nothing I can do about it. These are all excuses that we make. We sometimes find ourselves too overwhelmed to make a choice or afraid of doing the wrong thing, so we choose to do nothing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy what he should say to the church. He says, command them to do good. He doesn't just say, recommend that they do good for other people, suggest that they do good for other people. He says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, to pay the cost, whatever that's going to cost you, to help that other person. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So it's a direct command. Don't let uh, excuses stop you from helping out. And it is a stumbling block too, because you look at a person and you think, man, they're in bad shape. <laughs> they need so much help. I couldn't even scratch the surface of what their needs are. But that shouldn't stop us. We should do what we can, even if it's a limited amount 
You know, if you're walking down the street and you see the guy sitting on the sidewalk asking for money, you think to yourself, man, this guy is either uh, alcoholic or he's on drugs and, uh, you know, he's asking for money for food. And if I give him some money, maybe it's just going to make uh, the problem worse. It's going to be like throwing gasoline on the fire. You know, he's going to, what what's he going to use the money for? You know, maybe I'm going to make the situation worse. If I give him money, he's going to go out and buy more drugs or, or more booze or whatever the case may be. That shouldn't stop us. You're not going to solve all of the person's problems. Maybe you can do just one thing. In other words, if you go over a neighbor's house and you see everything broken down, you can't fix the whole house, but maybe you can fix the porch. Maybe you can fix the steps for them. Maybe you can do one little thing that you can do. We all have a natural inclination to want to either fix everything or walk away from what we can't fix. We can take comfort in knowing that we are rarely the whole solution to a person's problems. And we may be one small part of a much bigger plan, and that's okay. God is the one who can bring total change to people's lives and circumstances. It is our job to love people where they are at. We aren't the whole solution to a person's problems, but we can do what we can. The Good Samaritan, you know, when he stopped to help the Jew that was beaten up and robbed, he didn't try to solve the hatred between Jews and Samaritans that existed. You know, that was beyond his ability to solve that. And he didn't try to solve the crime problem on the road to Jerusalem, where a lot of people were getting robbed and beaten up. He did what he could. He helped the man. He got him to a place where he can seek medical attention. And he paid, you know, whatever was necessary for the person to be helped. So to serve others well, we need to believe that we are really serving God. Don't lose sight of that. I want to turn to Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. Whenever you're faced with an opportunity to help somebody, you got to realize it's not just that person that you're helping. Jesus himself says in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. This is Jesus speaking. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You know, any of us, if we somehow saw Jesus in need, wouldn't we help him? We would instantly drop what we were doing if we knew it was Jesus and he had a particular need. We would be there like that. But Jesus says, when we help the beaten down ones, the poor ones, the needy ones, the pathetic ones, the ones who are, whose lives are so messed up that you think there's no hope for this person, when you help those people, Jesus said, you've helped me. Sometimes we lose sight of that because we just see the person in their pathetic state or, you know, the trouble that they've gotten themselves into or the lack of effort that they've put forth. You know, we can't heal the person, only God can do that. But we can provide whatever help we may be able to provide. So that's an important lesson. We're not helping people. Jesus says we're helping him when we do that. So love is costly. Love is often inopportune. And thirdly, the final point is love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. So when we help somebody, and I don't care what way it is, financially, we just spend time with them and give them some words of encouragement. We pray for them. We pray with them. Uh, maybe we can fix something in their house or help them somehow. We're sacrificing in order to do that. You know, it's a beautiful thing when we help somebody, when we've served them, and they give us a genuine, heartfelt thank you. But it's not necessary or required. Our service to others and our commitment to do good for others is about what Jesus has already done for us and nothing more. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. The way Jesus helped us in our time of need is he sacrificed for us, didn't he? Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verse 12, But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, his death on that cross, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So Jesus' help for us was by sacrificing himself. And when you sacrifice for someone, you are lowering yourself to become a servant to them. And you know, the Bible says that when your servant serves you, you don't invite them to come and sit down at the table with you and, and enjoy the meal with you. No, they're your servants. They'll eat later, okay? So 
when we help others, we're sacrificing. We're playing the role of servant, just as Jesus did for us, okay? And when Jesus died on the cross for us, I don't remember reading about people lining up at that time to thank Jesus while he was on the cross for what he was doing. Nobody thanked him. But nevertheless, he did it because he sacrificed himself for us. So when we serve others, it's not for thanks. It's not, okay, I'll do a good deed for you if you do a good deed for me later. Or, you know, you've got... Uh, underlying motives for doing what you're doing. You want to appear as a good person in the community. No. It's service and sacrifice. We're responding to what Jesus has done for us and we want to sacrifice for others. And it's a sacrifice. And if somebody thanks you, count that as an extra blessing. But if somebody doesn't thank you for what you've done, don't worry about it. You've done what God has asked you to do, and you haven't done it for the thanks or for the praise or for anything else. We're following in Jesus' footsteps. We're doing it as an act of sacrifice, not to be praised. Finally, in Romans 12, verse 1, let's be reminded that we have been called as Christians to be people who sacrifice regularly. We always think of this in regard to God. You know, we give him an offering, we're kind of sacrificing to him. But no, we sacrifice to others as well. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, okay, based on what he's done for us, Jesus sacrificed himself for us, God gave his son to, uh, for us, for our sins, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not just to God, but to others, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So don't be discouraged if you try to help somebody and they never thank you for it. You're not doing it just for them. You're doing it for God. And you are not doing it for praise or for thanksgiving. You're doing it as a servant, and you are sacrificing yourself, just as Jesus sacrificed himself for us, for our benefit, so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have eternal life. So three reasons, three possible stumbling blocks that we need to keep in mind when we help others. It's going to be costly. It's going to cost us something, financially, our time, our talent, whatever the case may be. It's often going to be inopportune. You know, we're on our way someplace else where somebody needs help here. Or we're, we're involved in a project at home and a neighbor asks you to help out with, with their situation. We need to be willing to drop what we're doing and help somebody in time of need. Okay. It may not be scheduled, <laughs> it may be impromptu, it may be sudden, but we need to be prepared. And finally, when we help others, when we love our neighbor as ourself, we need to keep in mind it's a sacrificial thing. We're not just serving a person, we're serving Jesus, and he appreciates it when we do that. And in fact, 
this is our role as a Christian, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to others. And we approach it in a humble way, in an attitude of service. You know, again, when Jesus was the servant at the Last Supper, what did he do? He got down and he washed the disciples' feet. I didn't read in Scripture where anybody thanked him for that. But he was demonstrating and displaying to us what our approach needed to be as his followers. He were to have the same attitude of service humble service as he had as we now serve others and we're doing it as a response to the grace and mercy that's already been shown to us so this christian calling is a little bit more difficult than we originally think we have a responsibility to our neighbor whoever that neighbor may be not just the people that we're real chummy with but it could be a total stranger it could be somebody who's quite different than we are. They could be different ethnically or racially or uh, whatever the case may be. They could be the poorest of the poor in our community. When God brings to our attention that opportunity, we should be there to do whatever we can. And we will be blessed for it, God says. So what is the greatest commandment of all, Jesus said? to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So hopefully we've learned a little bit more about how we go about this. First of all, the necessity of doing it, exactly how to go about it, to be prepared, to be ready, to be observant, to respond, to have compassion, and don't stumble over any of the possible stumbling blocks, realizing in advance that it's going to be costly, it's going to take our time, and we're actually offering a sacrifice when we do it. Amen. We're not doing it for any ulterior motives or any particular reasons, and even if we're not thanked, that's okay. Jesus wasn't really thanked for all he did either. So let's respond. And let's, like I said, pray about it and ask God to give you opportunities and to show you when they happen, to kind of wake you up, make you aware of it, and then have the courage to step forward. And don't just wait until you're asked. Now, you don't want to become a busybody and stick your nose in other people's business, but sometimes when you see a need, you can approach the person and say, hey, I see uh, your uh, porch has been broken. You know, I've got the ability to put some wood together, maybe fix it for you. Or you know that the widow lady down the street doesn't have anybody to talk to and no family coming around to visit her. Bake yourself some cookies or some coffee cake and walk over there and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm your neighbor. <laughs> How are you doing? Is there anything I can pray about for you? And I think sometimes we'll be amazed at the willingness on the part of people to receive help. And to know, for them to know that there's, there's no strings attached. We're Christians, and this is what God has called us to do, and we're trying to follow his word and his command. Amen. So God is the one who works behind the scenes to make the connections. We pray to him for opportunities. He knows the people out there who need help, and he can help us kind of get connected to them and be willing to take advantage of the situation when he provides it. 
And I think we're going to be much more pleasing to God by obeying the great command.